Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second episode of All That's Written Repeat. Excuse my voice is not want to cooperate this morning. You know, history podcast where we get the amazing, talented, highly scholared, my man, Corey. And, you know, we, we, he goes through a, a part in a story and or a situation or person in history that we do this. But before we get to, you know, the, the, the incredible historian himself, um, y'all know the deal. Remember, like always, uh, rate, like, comment, or rate, like, comment, subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Links and everything in the bio, description, all that good stuff below. Um, April playlist available on Apple Music and Spotify. Go check that out. You know, uh, Discord, we got the link tree. Go join the Your Fam and everything. And if you're feeling generous up in there, we got the merch now, whatever. All stuff with Twitch because it's popping and everything. And like I'm going to get to at the beginning of this or whatever, you know, baseball dropped. It was mania. It was a lot of stuff and everything. I'm trying to get myself together for 22 so my apologies that it, you know it's, it's been a little minute since we did one of these and everything but Corey, how we feeling today and i cannot wait to hear about this topic <coughs> about that, man. i'm feeling good you know just woke up like 30 minutes ago so a little, little bit something different or whatever you know usually i'm you know i'm working or something like this or whatever we don't get this till it's nighttime like it was top of the morning man like the birds is yeah. chirping right now a little something different for us. Yep. Very excited though, man. You know what I'm saying? I, I enjoyed the first episode, even though I was kind of disgusted in a way because I'm like, oh God, history's really not fun. <laughs> <sighs> so I guess um, that's all I got or whatever, bro. So like, Dive into it, bro. Where, where where are we going today or whatever? What portion? What person? So, um, I think today you could view today as uh, kind of a sequel to the first episode, which okay. not really intentional just kind of worked out that way. You know, <clears throat> uh, March, obviously, Women's History Month, a little late on that one for today, you know. Yeah. Time. Who has enough of that, right? Talk to I don't him. even. I don't even have a life, and I don't have enough of it. But uh, so, this is another, another North Carolina one today. So, one I actually wrote a research paper on. So that's kind of easy, kind of easy choice. Uh, but we're doing, we're looking at the women's suffrage movement in North Carolina, specifically, uh, mostly the end, like. 1918 to 1920 period and the role that white supremacy played in said suffrage movement. Mm. Uh, so to just a quick summary, I guess, introduction. Uh, so basically the, the 19th amendment, uh, as I'm sure most people know, uh, was ratified in 1920 and gave women the right to vote. And a few States women already had the right to vote in like, uh, local or state level elections and i think a couple even in like federal elections but uh, this gave them the right to vote uh in the whole country obviously in any election and the suffrage movement you know went back as far as like the 1830s maybe even earlier and uh so north carolina could have been the 
36th state to ratify the amendment, which would have made it part of the Constitution. But we voted no for reasons I'll get into, largely because <laughs> of Shocker. white supremacy. And so Tennessee ended up becoming the uh, final state needed to uh, ratify it. Because at that time, I think it's, I think constitutional amendments are two-thirds of the states have to uh, vote in approval, I think. So at that time, it would have been 36 states. I'm not good at math, so I couldn't tell you how many it would be now. I, too, am not the math guy. <laughs> more than 36, because there's like two more states now. So, yeah. But, um, so basically, North Carolina and a lot of southern states, but especially North Carolina, it was kind of a uh, battleground state for women's suffrage, especially uh, because there's a lot of pushback against women's suffrage from white supremacists. Okay. Uh, they, they feared... It's kind of twofold. One, they were afraid that if black women could vote, it would threaten the power of white supremacy, which doesn't make sense because at that time there was like, I think there was like two million black women in the South and like six million white women, most of whom would have voted Democrat. So like already that math doesn't add up. You know, like I might be bad at math, but I'm pretty sure six is bigger than two. Right. It goes back to our saying now where the math ain't mathing. Right. And then uh, <laughs> the other fear was kind of, you know, uh, if uh, women have the right to vote and whatnot, because white supremacy at this point, like this is a new version of white supremacy, was built all around uh, protecting white women from uh, black people, specifically black men. And it was all about, you know, if they have the right to vote and can express uh, political power and whatnot, do they need our protection anymore? So, like, they thought that if women had more power, like, it would threaten white supremacy, too, because they wouldn't need to be protected as much. I, I which, feel like I want to ask a question, but I feel like you probably already things. got an answer coming, so I, I, I shouldn't spoil that. Well, I can't. I mean, I, I can't say that on that. Okay, um, does that have anything to do with that terrible-ass movie, Birth of a Nation? The original one, not the Nat Turner one. When did that come Yeah, it probably didn't help. I don't think they had like specifically played much of a role in this because white supremacy was already back and forth by like eighteen ninety eight, like we talked about last time. Right. But I mean it wouldn't have helped. Though weirdly enough, Woodrow Wilson technically did he played the movie at the White House. He technically did Jesus. endorse women's suffrage. Not because he wanted to, though. He was just kind of tired of them asking him about it. Actually, like, that's a straight-up fact, by the way. Woodrow Wilson endorsed women's suffrage because he was pissed off that um, that uh, suffrage uh, activists and whatnot kept asking him about it, and he just kind of caved finally because he was tired of them asking him about it. Like, he didn't want them to have the right to vote. He was just like, oh, just shut the hell up already. It's literally the Real epitome of, damn, would you stop asking? Ugh, I'll do it already. Yeah, pretty much. Real, real good guy. Great, great president. 
definitely not the worst one ever. Uh, no. not. I was it's like a top five. No, he's the, he's the worst one ever. Oh man, okay. He's he's pretty bad. He's pretty racist. Somehow, probably also the most racist one ever. And that includes the ones who own slaves. Big yikes. Yeah, he's that bad. But that's another story. Uh, <laughs> Teaser. I so, love it. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, they're afraid, you know, if, uh, if white women don't need our protection anymore, then, well, there goes white supremacy. Which that one's a much more logical fear than the whole oh, black people are going to take over thing. Not that that's ever stopped anyone from fearing that exact thing happening. And, you know, obviously they were a much larger proportion of the population, white people that is, were a much larger proportion of the population <clears throat> in 1920 than they are now. Oh, yeah. I can, I can imagine 100%. I'm pretty sure. I think the only state. I think Mississippi. And maybe Alabama. Or Georgia. There's like one or two states where like. There's a much closer to even percentage of white and black people. Because like I know Mississippi had like a lot of slaves compared to uh, other states and I I think maybe Georgia did too so like there's like the only two states where like there was even close to an equal number of uh, white people and black people I always hear that about Mississippi and it throws me off and every all the time but I'm like because I'm always thinking like yo country jump but I'm also like well I guess country you know country black people and then mobile Alabama in particular <laughs> yeah it's a place I always hear about. Uh, let's see. I'm going to look up right now. States with the. Because every time I hear Mississippi, it throws me off a little bit. But I was like, oh, I mean, I guess. I guess so. Let's see. Trying to... I feel yeah, like this probably. I think has... Mississippi right now is like 36% black. So, yeah. I think it used also... to be more before people started moving. Uh, <clears throat> further north, right? Like, yo, you hit that right on the head. Like, I heard another thing too. I felt I, I'm trying to remember where this was from. Ah, exactly. uh, Louisiana and Georgia too. They're both over thirty percent too. So yeah, okay, uh, that that makes sense too. That makes sense. I heard Arkansas yeah. people were just like, nah, like like was gonna be at least black people were like, you know what? Nah, we getting out of here, dog. What is Arkansas? <laughs> Not trying to crap on Arkansas, but you know. I mean, Dexter, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, definitely back then, at least, if nothing else. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, I mean, so, yeah, you know, there's like two, three states where black people being able to vote would even remotely be a threat. And obviously, you know, those population numbers obviously include people who aren't 18 yet or uh, 21, actually, it'd be 21 to vote back then. So this is an even less amount of people, actually. So mm, you got to take okay. that into account also. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, they spent the past 50, 50, 60 years keeping black people from voting as is. So, I mean, 
it's not like they were suddenly going to stop and be like, oh, you got us. I guess you can vote now. <laughs> like, I mean, they used to shoot at black men trying to vote. They weren't going to stop doing that. Oh, it's just like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> Yikes. Like, I mean, yeah, like, you know what I mean? They would point shotguns at you if you tried to vote in the wrong place. Yeah, they're not going to, they're not just going to give up because women's suffrage passed. So, you know, I had, I had yeah, a terrible Carolina, joke there. Good Lord. Great, great place in the 1920s for anyone that, you know, wasn't white or man. Oh, wait, Remember what Kanye different. told us? You remember what Kanye told us, bro? That was a choice, man. We, we we chose not to go vote and do all that stuff. You know, they weren't shotguns pointed at us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, white supremacy ended up playing a really big role in uh, North Carolina during the suffrage movement. Maybe even bigger than, like, a lot of other places. Jesus. And, you know, when I was writing my paper, I pretty much came to the conclusion that uh, it's the single biggest reason... We didn't vote to ratify the 19th Amendment was white supremacy. Because, you know, uh, white supremacy was for white men, not white women. At that point in time. Right. Different now. Now white supremacy is for everybody. As long as they're white. And even people who supported women's suffrage were still very racist. I mean, plenty of them said things like, oh, you kept black men from voting. You just do the same now. Like, literally said exactly those words. Big yikes. So, you know, it's not like they, it's not like they wanted black women to vote. Even the ones who, at one point, were like allied with black women, abandoned them as soon as they realized, oh, no, that's not gonna, that's gonna make us look bad because the black people. So, I mean, they threw that one out the window. So, yeah, you know, but to dive into more detail. So basically the, the suffrage movement as a whole in the whole country uh, goes back as far as like the early 1800s. And uh, in New Jersey, women could vote as early as 1790. But mm. uh, that was rescinded by an 1807 law. Not sure why. Remember, I didn't find a reason why, but yeah, it was. I guess it's literally like stuff years we see nowadays vote. where, oh, like, where, oh, you know what I'm saying, this used to be this way, but um, now we're changing that. And it's like, wait, that doesn't make any, we're, we're changing it. Like, oh, okay, okay, that makes no sense, but I guess. None. And that, this one, this one might surprise people. Hey, this one definitely surprised people. <clears throat> In 1838, uh, the first state to pass a statewide woman suffrage law in the whole country after New Jersey abolished theirs, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, right. Did not see that one place, I guess. The bluegrass state. That's if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Lincoln was technically born in Kentucky. If I'm not mistaken. So I feel like I've heard that before too. So that or he lived there. I get some of that confused. But yeah. So, you know, not all bad. It's a few good things from there. Yeah, you know, Lincoln, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, about it. <laughs> I said a few. Yeah, who tried? 
so you know, uh, the fight for women's rights, including suffrage, kind of picked up in the 1830s. Uh, early pioneers of the people you know, moving out west to the new um, territories like west of the Mississippi and whatnot. Uh, or, well, like yeah, a lot of the newly settled states, uh, women played a big role in them, and uh, especially the Midwest. I think, uh, I think like Colorado, I want to say Minnesota, uh, a couple of others. Uh, women played like a really big role in like the early settling of those states, and uh, several of them already had women's suffrage laws. And in fact, several of them in the state constitutions wrote that uh, women had the right to vote, and they basically refused uh, to accept statehood if the federal government wouldn't recognize that right. So they basically they they said, you know, we're not going to become a state if you don't let our women vote. So uh, balls in your court. So that's pretty interesting. I like that too. And it's just like, uh, hey, I'm pretty you know sure there's at least three to... or four states that did that. Which Actually, is pretty it together for something. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, it just, it's like one of those things where it's like, um, like, I guess you, you realize, uh, like, women are just as valuable as men if you're in a situation where, like, they have to do, but you have to let them do work they wouldn't normally be doing in this, uh, time period because like obviously there's not very many people so women have to kind of pick up the slack so to speak because there's right. not enough men going around like you know during world war one women had to work in factories and stuff when they normally wouldn't have been allowed to because there weren't enough men to do it you mean you mean Corey? there's not like a league of our own or whatever where you know, all the men went to war and they just played baseball i mean it is based on a true story though I'm not gonna front. I love that fucking movie. That's a great movie. <laughs> I was saying, I know people were like, "Wait, what?" And I'm like, "Dude, it, it came on TNT. Nah, it's movie. like every day. How do you not seen it?" Bro, that's Tom Hanks, and why is Rosie O'Donnell the only person I remember? I, I yeah, it's because other yeah, low key classic if you ask me. But go ahead, I'm sorry, I just love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so even like early supporters of women's rights. You know, there's a lot of opposition because, of course, there was. And uh, even many of their supporters only had like moderate goals. A lot of them didn't even support suffrage outright because they thought it was uh, just impossible to attain or just didn't want it. A lot of women didn't even necessarily want the right to vote at that point in time. Mm. Uh, uh, so there's two. The Grimke sisters who were they were two sisters from a slaveholding family in the South who staunchly opposed slavery. They were both uh, very adamant abolitionists. But even among abolitionist circles, they uh, they weren't often allowed to speak at meetings and whatnot because uh, they were women, despite the fact that they were women whose father owned slaves. And so they probably knew what they were talking about more than a lot of the men who would have just been from the North or wouldn't have been around slavery as much as they had been uh, as children. And uh, a lot of early feminists were actually against slavery, which I didn't look into why, so I don't have more details on that. But uh, yeah, a lot of early feminists in like the 1840s uh, were very much against slavery. I'm sure for plenty of different reasons, not all of them good, but you know, Still. Right. 
At least I mean, hope, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. And until the 1840s, suffrage was only a small issue within the overall women's rights movement. Because, like I said, a lot of them didn't want it. A lot of them thought it wasn't a good idea or uh, just something they'd never get. But that started the change in 1848 with the Seneca Falls Convention, where uh, more prominent activists like Elizabeth Cady Stanton uh, came out in support of suffrage. And also Frederick Douglass was in attendance at this convention. And he is the reason that in there they had a declaration of sentiments, which is basically a declaration of things that they wanted for women. And he's the one who persuaded the convention organizers to keep women's suffrage in the declaration of sentiments because they were arguing about whether or not to keep it. And uh, I think they were like kind of close to taking it out. And he was the one that persuaded them to keep it in. He's also the only black person or the only black man one of those two so that's pretty interesting that he probably both (laughs) yeah i I think it was but i can't remember exactly so that's interesting that he was uh the one that uh, persuaded them to keep it and then uh they started holding like yearly conventions in 1850 until the civil war started and they, you know, during the war, they didn't hold any more conventions. But suffrage had become the most important issue discussed at these conventions by this point. So, you know, only two years and all, it suddenly becomes the big issue from, you know, going from something they didn't want to talk about to, like, the thing they talked about. Right, right. And then uh, women started forming kind of national leagues for women. Uh, Susan B. Anthony and Katie Elizabeth Stanton formed the Women's Loyal National League in 1853, uh, which was the first national women's political organization, but there were a few others, too. In 1866, the uh, American Equal Rights Association was formed uh, right after the war ended, or about a year after the war ended. And uh, they were formed by women's rights activists and abolitionists, and I believe Frederick Douglass was one of the people involved with this uh, they they fought for the equal rights of all Americans, so white, uh, ma- uh, white and black, male, female, you know, didn't matter to them. And uh, but a lot of some of the more prominent Republicans and abolitionists in the Equal Rights Association kind of opposed the call for universal suffrage because they wanted to focus on uh, black suffrage first. And they thought that the Republican Party couldn't win elections if they campaigned on both issues at the same time. Which, I mean, probably true in 1866. It probably would have been very hard in the South and probably the North, too. To, I'm just uh, thinking like real campaign. narrow-mindedness, but also I'm like, yeah, yeah a lot of that in 2022 as well, but yeah. whatever. It would have been pretty difficult, I think, for them to campaign that's saying, oh, I'm going to let women and black people vote. That's probably a hard sell in 1866. <laughs> I'm just thinking about someone's mind, like people's head ex- heads exploding, like the uh, first episode of the Chappelle show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a... Blacks and women? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Good luck getting those votes on that one. So, so yeah, that caused contention among the movement. What do we focus on first? And 
So obviously abolition is largely focused on black people first and women wanted to focus on women or both. Uh, in fact, the American Equal Rights Association ended up kind of splitting in half. And uh, one of the wings that split off, they wanted to focus on African-American suffrage and then women's suffrage. And the other wanted to fight for both at the same time. So, you know, respect. But right. I guess at the same time, this is one of those things where it's like two great goals. But sometimes you do have to pick battles, unfortunately. Especially, you know, in like 1866. And in, uh, in 1877, what would go on to become the 19th Amendment, without a single word being changed, by the way, uh, okay. Aaron Sargent introduced the Women's Suffrage Amendment to the United States Constitution. I, you know, take like, I think Congress finally voted on it in like 1916, I think, is when it went out to the states. Yeah, I think 1916 out to the state so like 38 years after he first introduced it okay. but you know even in 1878 with him introducing it obviously there's still a long way to go so now we get to North Carolina and our wonderful role in the suffrage movement so uh in a lot of southern states, but like I said, especially here, uh, women's suffrage was seen as a threat to the new ideals of white supremacy that had risen up following Reconstruction, but specifically the 1898 and 1900 white supremacy campaigns where uh, white supremacists really sought to take back control of state governments and even Congress uh, seats. And like I said, one of the main tenets of this new version of white supremacy was that white women had to be protected from black men. An idea that, like you said earlier, was perpetuated by um, the Birth of a Nation movie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? We're just going to take them or whatever, like thieves in the night or whatever. Oh, yeah, God. Anyone who's seen clips from that movie knows exactly what we mean by that one. Corey, super, super 50s villain or whatever. We just twirling our mustaches or whatever. We're going to tie your <laughs> women up, put them on train tracks, and wait for the train to come. God, so despicable. What's worse, that or uh, using black people to get weed uh, banned because oh, it, turns, it, it makes white women horny for black guys. Which is 100% <laughs> a thing that happens. That's yeah, 100% a thing that happened. They were like, oh, it makes them want to sleep with black dudes. So we can't have that being legal anymore. Look, there's a there's a there's a joke there or whatever. I mean, I've seen it work both ways, just being honest. But yeah, the, the best part they only did that because uh, hemp was cheaper. It was a cheaper way to make paper, and the paper business was like pretty big. They were like, "Oh, we can't lose our money. Let's blame black people." Bruh, I swear. I, when the worked. first time I ever heard that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? See, you didn't want to do it. I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, nah. Actually, look it up. It's legit. And I'm like, wow. I, I just have no words sometimes. And it's still illegal in almost every state. And at the federal level. Who? Because of blacks. We're terrible, apparently. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Yeah. So yeah, they they thought that if white women, well, women in general, if they were allowed to vote, they wouldn't need the protection of white men anymore. Which, I mean, I guess kind of makes sense from their point of view, because, I mean, you know, women are allowed to exercise power in any form. I guess it inevitably, at some point, leads to the conclusion uh, we kind of don't need them to protect us in everything we do, do we? We can kind of protect ourselves. Hmm. And obviously, there are plenty of men, even today, who disagree with that idea. So, yeah. So, definitely would have been plenty back then, too. Timbo. Yeah. And many of the anti-suffragists, they also believe that women trying to vote would be exposed to violence uh, at the polls as white men tried to keep black men from voting. And they didn't want to. Another another part, you you, you act proper around women at all times. So it wouldn't be proper to be violent around a woman. And they didn't want women to see them, you know, murder black people for trying to vote. So, yeah, I was going to throw in. a Oh, no. You know, I'm saying you were like you revealed for who you actually are. No way. (laughs) I mean, they didn't hide it back in. They just didn't act that way around women. I mean, but everybody knew they just didn't like outwardly act that way. Like I said, some women, women who supported suffrage, even at that point, argued. I mean, if you can keep uh, black men away from the polls, what's stopping you from keeping black women away? And their husbands and sons. Like, there's no issue here. And there wasn't. But we'll get to that. Yikes. <coughs> then, uh... Yeah, another reason with the, this one's a more complicated reason. Uh, is Black women were seen in a more positive light than black men. Mm. Partly because they were women so it goes back to like the whole you have to treat women properly thing, even if they're black women. It's like interesting. You, you wouldn't necessarily treat a black woman the same way you would treat a black man. Like even if even if she say disrespected you, you wouldn't necessarily uh, respond the same way as you would if a black man did the same thing. So that that was another uh, issue for them. Like they. They weren't sure if they could do the same things to women, to black women they did to black men to keep them from the polls, to threaten them with violence and whatnot. Right. They weren't sure if that was something they could do to women. So, you know, yeah, fun, fun stuff. So the first thing that popped in my head there was Thomas Jefferson being like, hey, man, it's pretty cool over here. Just, you know, chill out. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, in 1897, uh, uh, James L. Hyatt, a Republican, so this isn't going to end well for him. Okay. Uh, he introduced a bill to give women the right to vote in North Carolina, which I believe, from what I could tell, was the earliest attempt to do so in North Carolina. Uh he introduced a bill to the state uh, legislature that would give women the right to vote in, I think, just in state and local elections. But uh, obviously, 
if, you know, Democrats didn't want to give women the right to vote in 1920, they sure as hell weren't going to do it in 1897. So that one didn't work out too well. Also, obviously, in 1897, Democrats were kind of way more focused on uh, disenfranchising black people. So I don't think they were particularly interested in expanding their electorate because once they disenfranchise black people, well, if only white men can vote, and if most white men are Democrats, kind of doesn't matter at that point. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, like I said, you know, white supremacy was for white men. Women, not necessarily included in that equation. So, <sighs> but uh, even before 1897, before this bill was introduced, uh, Democrats and white supremacists, which basically interchangeable terms at this point. I mean, if you were a Democrat, you were almost certainly a white supremacist in 1897, so like like almost 100% guaranteed. But in 1892, uh, the Roanoke News, a newspaper, Roanoke, obviously, right? Uh, they published an article with an interview with a prohibitionist of someone that supported the banning of alcohol. That one worked out great, too, didn't it? <laughs> so many great decisions from this time period. Uh, but yeah, a man from Northampton County who was a prohibitionist, and uh, he said that despite being a prohibitionist, he would not vote for John Bidwell, who was the prohibition candidate in the 1892 presidential election. Uh, he said he would not vote for John Bidwell because Bidwell supported women's suffrage, and he believed that would. And this man, the one in the interview, believed that. Uh, Women's suffrage would, and this is the quote, double the Negro vote, <clears throat> double mm. the Negro vote and not increase the white vote because every colored woman would vote and the white women would not. A, reinforcing the idea that Southern white women are proper white women and so they wouldn't want to be involved in politics, which even a lot of women at this point in time would agree with. Uh so, yeah, so Bidwell, he received like 2,000 votes in North Carolina uh, of his 271,000 and like 20,000 in the South total. So clearly, uh, you know, even people who supported prohibition were much more adamant about uh, not letting black people vote than they were about supporting prohibition. So that <laughs> just goes to show you where their priorities were really, you know what really mattered to them uh, first and foremost. You Especially know, considering like 90% of this man's votes came from northern and western states where uh, there were either already some level of women's suffrage or and or white supremacy wasn't as big of a deal. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, this like this is just one interview that I use for my paper. But um, this is a very common sentiment in North Carolina and probably most of the South, but especially here. You know, many men, they believe that good, upstanding white women wouldn't vote even if they were allowed to because uh, politics were firmly within the sphere of masculine activities and not feminine activities. So, like, even as early as 1892, probably even earlier than that, honestly, uh, white supremacy was just already the biggest political hurdle for suffrage in North Carolina. 
you know, and people were very willing to oppose it, even if that meant voting against their own their uh, their own ideals like prohibition. <laughs> They'd rather allow drunks than uh, black voters. You know, Taylor too evil. Alcohol is pretty fun, so you know, right? But but you know, even even among women in North Carolina, though, uh, not much support for women's suffrage at this point in time. Very little support, in fact. Most women in North Carolina, or a lot of women at least, did not want to vote. They didn't want the right to vote. They didn't want to be involved with politics, especially not on a like state or federal level, just they didn't want anything to do with it. Right. Uh, many of the women associated with the suffrage movement were uh, associated <clears throat> with radical feminism, which was very much looked down upon in the South, especially. And they felt the the women opposed to the movement felt that uh, radical feminism was directly opposed to the virtues of good, upstanding Southern white women. You know, you couldn't be a proper uh, a proper white woman and also want the right to vote. No, that's just too much, white man, you know? Want to vote. Yeah. That's not manipulation at all. <laughs> yeah. But now, some, a lot of these women did want influence over, like, local politics. It's just not the right to vote. Specifically, they wanted, a lot of them wanted to be uh, able to serve on local school boards. And in 1913, they actually campaigned on that issue uh, throughout the state. But in North Carolina, uh, you could only serve on the school board if you were an eligible voter. Wow. You didn't want the right to vote. So instead of supporting the suffrage movement, as other people might have done, uh, these women convinced a state senator, Victor S. Bryant, to introduce a bill that would allow women to serve on school boards without... uh, being eligible voters. And uh, so, yes, this bill was far from a suffrage bill, and these women did not at all flock to the suffrage movement after finding out, oh, you have to be able to vote to serve on the school board. They just said, okay, we'll just change that one part of the law then. And, uh, yeah, they actually passed that one in the law, I guess, probably... Partly as a way to kind of placate women, like, oh, we give them this, they'll just stop here. Which I guess <laughs> kind of did work for a lot of these women because they didn't want the right to vote in the first place. So Right, they don't even care enough. Right, like there wasn't, <laughs> like, of course they stop here. There wasn't a further step for them. This was all they wanted from the get-go. So, hey, you know, they got what they wanted, I guess. Do you know, I feel like, I'm, I'm sorry, just like some, some of the things you be telling me with this... <laughs> I don't know if it's just like, okay, we're so in a different time where it's looked back like, what? But literally in my head, I'm thinking like, why was their logic simply a lot of times on like Patrick Starr of, how about we get the house and move it over there? (laughs) Like, and I'm just like, wait. Because that's the simplest solution to a lot of people. (laughs) I'm like, what was happening? Like, who was the brain children over here? Like it's basically, I mean, it's like going out of your way to <clears throat> to not shoot yourself in the foot too much, but to shoot yourself in the foot just enough to hurt someone else down the road. Jesus. 
just in the right way that the bullet ricochets off of your foot and hits them in the chest. It's basically how I picture that. <sighs> so, like to me too. Yeah. So, you know, even after this, you know, even after 1913, uh, women's suffrage was still very unpopular in North Carolina, uh, even more so among men, obviously. But one of his earliest supporters was uh, Walter Clark, who was actually chief justice of the state Supreme Court, which is uh, quite interesting at a time where men basically wanted nothing to do with women's suffrage. The chief justice of the state Supreme Court was like, oh, no, yeah, this is a good idea. You guys should totally do this. Uh, he was a Democrat, obviously. Right. And, uh, but he belonged to the party's liberal wing, so he held more progressive views than a lot of other state Democrats. Which, I mean, in 19, you know, 1913, progressive, progressive just for Democrats, it, it just meant like building, uh, building railroads, roads, and um, they introduced like a lot of new health measures to help poor people not die of sickness constantly. It means like good stuff, but like nothing like, oh, let's not hate black people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were still racist. The, the New South was very progressive in that they wanted to help poor people. As long as they were white. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. One thing at a time here, buddy. Yeah. It's quite quite interesting. Because obviously progressive today, <laughs> very different from what they meant. So, um, yeah, 1913, uh, Walter Clark spoke at a meeting of the Federation of Women's Clubs, which is a suffrage movement, more or less, or organization, I should say. And he argued in favor of women's suffrage, mainly citing the uh, submissiveness of the state Democrats, or well, the state male legislatures. Uh, uh-huh. This is a quote from him uh, from that speech. But for the <clears throat> but for the I get, discrimination, I get scared whenever you talk about the quotes. <laughs> this one's actually not that bad. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but for the discrimination against our towns by the railroad systems in this state, to the extent of many millions of dollars annually, New Bern would now doubtless have 50 to 75,000 inhabitants. Whatever may be said against women's suffrage, it is certain that if the women of our state had a share in its government, they would not have tamely submitted, as the men have done, to this oppression. With the resultant dwarfing of our towns, the depression of our business interests, and the injury to our farmers. So basically, uh, Walter Clark, his whole shtick basically was, uh, yeah, the men in charge kind of suck right now. Why not give women a shot? <laughs> Bars. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much exactly <laughs> how he felt. And I mean, he kind of wasn't wrong because they kind of did suck. I mean, they kind of did roll over for Big Railroad and just kind of said, Eh, fuck it. The state sucks anyway. Let's make it worse. I mean, like, that's basically exactly what they did. They're like, oh, poor farmers? Not my problem. Oh, they're sick and dying? I don't give a shit. Yikes. Progressive Democrats like Clark didn't agree with a lot of that stuff. 
And then he 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 did go on to address the racial issue after that, though, because it had already become a focal point even as early as 1913, as we showed that quote from 1892. Uh, this is also a quote. This one's a little worse. <laughs> it is stated as an objection to women's suffrage that our Negro cooks could vote as much and no more than the cook's husband can. And I have not yet heard heard it asserted that white men should not vote because the Negro might. If the Negro cannot vote, neither will his wife. If he does vote, we opt not, therefore, to disfranchise white men to get rid of him, nor should we disfranchise white women to keep their cooks from voting. So basically, I mean, he said what I already said. We keep them from voting now. That's not going to stop. That's a bad argument, and it doesn't make sense. And why should we not let women vote because of it? Mm. So, you know, racist, but like smart, I guess, because I mean, that's just facts. There was nothing stopping them from stopping black women, which again, we'll see. They, they, he was right. But that's all he said. Like, that's the only thing he said about the racial issue. Like, that, that one oh. brief quote is the only thing he said, which uh, kind of demonstrates that even someone like him, who was the chief justice of the state Supreme Court, could only say so much about uh, the race issue and kind of had to walk a careful line about what he said. So, you know, yeah, even, even people who saw through it couldn't could only say so much about it right and uh but even after the 19th amendment was ratified um clark was one of the few men in north carolina who actually supported it and a lot of democrats like farner ford simmons who we talked about last time great guy that oh um, yeah that how could i forget that name <laughs> yeah a lot of people like farner ford simmons uh they expressed their support of it but only because Woodrow Wilson kind of forced them to do it. And like we said, even he didn't support it. He just caved and then forced other Democrats who support it to make them look better. So like Furnival Simmons very much did not support women's suffrage. He just kind of played along with the charade. Sticking to the brand. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <sighs> but, uh, Despite there being a few suffered organizations and associations, you know, as early as 1913, they still didn't have very much support, <clears throat> even from other women. And they're very small groups, very small movements. Uh, you know, this, the suffrage movement kind of slowly began to gain more white allies, more white women. And at the same time, they started to abandon the black women they had allied with because they had started to realize, well, nobody wants black people to vote. So we kind of had to jump off of that train. So they did with no hesitation whatsoever. Yikes. Just completely threw them under said train. Which, I mean, certainly helped their cause because, you know, Obviously, people didn't want black people voting, but at the same time, uh, they pretty much never spoke about the race issue, ever, hardly ever. The few times they did, they basically just said things like, oh, there's more of us than black women, so what are you so afraid of? 
even they didn't they didn't even say that very often. They figured it was best if they just kept their mouth shut about the whole race thing, which actually kind of screwed them over because uh, as we've seen even today, racist people don't keep their mouths shut. So you can be quiet all you want, but the other side's going to keep talking all the shit they want to talk. And so they're going to be the ones filling the void with all of their ideas, and none of your ideas get heard because you aren't speaking them out loud. So, yeah, they kind of shot themselves straight in the foot with that one. Mm. So, yeah, that didn't help at all. So, yeah, like I said, the anti-suffragists is kind of well, they're being quiet, so we're going to tell you what we think about black women voting, and we don't think it's good. <laughs> and that was basically six years of them just throwing crap out there because uh, the suffragists refused to say a single word other than the occasional, there's more of us than there are of them. What are you guys so afraid of? But, I mean, you know, by that point, you, you hear five years of, oh, God, black women are going to tear apart white supremacy. You're probably not going to listen to the women saying there's more of them than there are black women. And it's kind of too late by that point. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, pretty much it proved impossible to separate race from Southern politics. But, I mean, I feel like they should have seen coming because, again, the whole the whole deal of 1898 and 1900, the whole deal was we hate black people. That was the whole deal. Full stop. I feel like they should have seen that one coming. It's kind of super obvious and not at all hidden. But I mean, even black people in North Carolina, uh, black men particularly, didn't necessarily support suffrage in large numbers. Largely because uh, black men were afraid that if black women tried to vote, they'd see a resurgence of uh, the violence they saw in 1898 and 1900 when they tried to vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so they didn't want, they didn't even want uh, women to like even bother. Like they didn't even want them to try. You know, they were like, we dealt with it 20 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever. We don't want to deal with it again. Just like just leave it alone. Just nah. And even some black women, uh, they were afraid that uh, even if they gained the right to vote, they would be disenfranchised just as easily as you know their husbands and brothers and fathers had been. Which again, they were right. So yeah, it's like even among black people, women's suffrage was kind of hit or miss uh, in the early part of this period <clears throat> which is actually it's like interesting to think about because it's like uh you know white people are like oh we shouldn't give women the right to vote because then black people might vote and black people are like oh but they shouldn't give women the right to vote because then black people might vote and that's bad because that that will make them hurt us again which actually is a fair point that, that's that's pretty fair because they went through a lot of very bad stuff the last time that happened. Yeah. So can't say I necessarily blame them for that one, but there were still plenty of black women who supported it, you know. So, like, props to them, because this took some big-ass balls to want to vote after seeing all that that happened last time. So, you know, bravo to them, like, straight up. Because I probably would have been one of the ones saying, ah, maybe let's, uh, 
maybe let's just leave this one alone because I am a coward. And also, it's like you know what we 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 saw this movie before. It didn't end so good. Let's yeah, right. Let's not. Yeah, I don't want a sequel. I'm cool. <laughs> you don't need part two. Electric right. it's, it's like one of those things where it's like things are already bad enough. And like, I mean, if you listen to these people talking, they're gonna make it worse again. I don't want that. So, like, I kind of like I get where they're coming from. As bad as it might be, like in hindsight, understandable. Yeah. Uh, and even after the 19th Amendment was uh, ratified, a lot of black men still opposed it. Uh, but there's one in particular, James Dudley, who was the president of North Carolina A&T, which um, I think most people know what A&T is at this point. The year of our Lord 2022. I would hope so. But uh, if not, do your Googles. Based just a, an HBCU, one of the. Yeah, there we go. One of the oldest in the state, I think. I definitely think in our state, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, if not the oldest, definitely one of the oldest in our state. Um, but yeah, North Carolina a and he was the president of the university at the time. And uh, he basically urged black women, you know, don't vote. Because if you do, uh, racial tensions will become even worse. And white people will start, like, killing us and beating us and stuff again. Got a point. But on the other hand, a lot of prominent black people, uh, especially from the north, where, you know, they want to face the same level of violence and whatnot as um, southern black men would have when they tried to vote, they opposed views like this. In fact, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Du Bois, I always forget how to pronounce it. It it always throws me off, too, yeah. But, but, you know, most people know who he is, obviously. Um, He had a... uh, a magazine basically that he published called the crisis. And uh, he put out an issue on March, 1921 after the suffrage as the 19th amendment was passed. Uh, he basically called James Dudley a coward, <laughs> and, you know, in much nicer words, but he'd be basically on the coward. He said, James B. Dudley came out with several columns of advice to colored women, not to attempt to vote. And then said that, um, basically said that his arguments weren't worth mentioning. It's like he didn't even like mention the specific words that Dudley said because he was just like, they're just more, this is another quote, familiar remarks about the general unwisdom of Negroes meddling in politics. He basically called James Dudley a house nigga. (laughs) More or less. I was going to ask that, but But, I'm like, you know, I was like, you're you're going to break down better. That's what he did, yeah. But I mean, I think Big yikes. you have to you have to look at this from the point of view of uh, W. E. B. Du Bois is from I think Chicago, so he's from the North. So like, sure, he saw plenty of racism, but like, he wouldn't have seen it the same way that someone like James Dudley from the South would have seen it. Yeah, the Southern know? level, right? Like, he he wouldn't have necessarily seen uh, black men shot at, beaten, lynched in by the hundreds, if not more. Just for trying to vote, just for looking at a white woman wrong. Like some of that stuff happened up north, without a doubt. You know, not to the levels that happened down here. Right. Certainly not uh specifically just for voting or trying to vote, I should say. You know, like W B E B Du Bois probably wasn't you know, <clears throat> ran away from the polls in eighteen ninety eight at gunpoint. So, you know, like two 
two different point of views from two very different perspectives, both of which, I mean, kind of fair from their own perspective. But like, kind of makes it hard to understand the other perspective. No, yeah, like I feel like it would be like, um, it'd be like a straight person trying to tell a gay person uh, how to feel about uh, gay rights or whatever. Like, you know, like oh, we kind of get it, maybe, but from our own perspective, like you know, obviously you would understand way better than you know uh, a straight person would. Like a gay person would obviously understand much better than a, like I wouldn't understand, you know, you wouldn't understand as much as a gay person would understand what they're going through. One hundred. So one hundred. Um. So yeah, you know, it's just interesting how even a lot of black people didn't necessarily support women's suffrage for a lot of the same reasons, really. Which is always very interesting to think about. Like, hmm, they kind of had, they kind of all came to the same conclusion about why this isn't a good thing. And um, so there were, so I know, like I said before, obviously there were more uh, white women than black women, and more mm-hmm. white people than black people. Period. Like in the whole country, straight up. Period. Full stop. But I, white supremacists did kind of sort of have one reason to like slightly fear black women voting. Uh, and that's because black women were by and large more educated and had way higher literacy, literacy rates than black men in North okay. Carolina at this point in time. Makes sense. You know, they, like, they, they would often uh, they would have the chance to actually go off to school where black men wouldn't necessarily have that same opportunity. So uh you know, I looked at the I looked at the 1920 census for this, which uh, you can find, I believe, all censuses online. I think they're all online digital. This this is where I found this one anyway. <clears throat> so this is from the 1920 census. Uh, and in North Carolina, black women from age 16 to 20 had a literacy rate of like 90 percent which was a 5% increase from 1910. So, you know, in 10 years, it went from 15% couldn't read to 10% couldn't read. Right. And obviously, like I said, the voting age of 21. So most of these women couldn't vote in 1920, but they would have been able to vote uh, in 1924. And a lot of them could have voted in like state elections between that. In 1920, there were at least 200,000 literate black women in North Carolina of voting age and at least 45,000 more who would be of voting age by 1924, like I said. Uh, these numbers also don't take into account women who couldn't read uh, but were old enough to vote in 1920 but might have learned how to read by 1924. And um, I think the, if I remember correctly, I think the census in 1920 literacy rates, I think it stopped past a certain age. I forget what the higher end of that, but it wasn't very high. It was like 16 to 20. And it might have just stopped at 20. I can't remember exactly. But basically it stopped at a like really low number. So oh. like the like that the 16 to 20 would have included 
everyone past that age too. So it's kind of hard to say like how many of them were in their forties or fifties and like who might've learned to read, who might not learn to read and stuff like that. Right. And obviously as time goes on more and more, the higher percentage you're going to learn to read. And, uh, but this is important because I'm sure a lot of people know, uh, you know, black people used to have to take, uh, literacy tests at the polls to vote. Like they had to take the test and pass it before they could vote. And I have seen these tests. Uh, I've seen them online. I've tried to take one. I like to think I'm pretty smart. And, you know, I have two college degrees. So right. that's actually stupid. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but I've seen these tests, you know, I tried to take them. I think the one I've seen the most, uh, I think it's from Alabama, but I can't remember. Exactly. But, you know, I've seen it, tried to take it. You know, it's bullshit. I mean, it's a complete bullshit test. I mean, it does. It's like 10 questions. Oh, that sounds easy. And do you realize that all 10 questions are trick questions? I think at least eight of them have like four or five different possible answers. They're worded very vaguely. They're worded intentionally so that uh, they're worded in a way to make there be multiple answers when there otherwise wouldn't have been. Uh, I think one one question was like you have to draw a line from like a certain letter in a certain word under and to a certain letter in another certain word, but it never said like draw the line around any of the words in between. So like a maybe the person giving you a test could just be like, oh well, you didn't draw the line properly, so. You're not allowed to vote. Sorry. And I think you had to get all 10 questions right. Like, I think you had to get 100% or something. So it's not like you could just get one wrong. And they would find very arbitrary ways to stop you from passing these tests. The problem, of course, is the more educated you are, the easier it is to do it properly in a way that makes it harder for them to just be like, oh, you failed, sorry, get out. Which is actually what happened the first time black women tried to register. It was much easier for them to uh, pass these tests and whatnot because they had a higher rate of education. So that's, uh, that was one thing I found really interesting when I was doing my research for this paper for this. It's like, oh, like they actually had kind of a slight reason to be afraid because black women were very smart. Are still very smart, of course, but specifically right. these black women were very smart and could much more easily pass uh, the literacy tests. So, you know, obviously it's much harder to disenfranchise educated people because educated people are smart people and can much more easily see some of your bullshit. <laughs> but like I said, I mean, they still didn't pose a real threat because, I mean, what did I say? There's like 200,000 black women who could read that were of voting age. That's not that many compared to uh, several hundred thousand white women who wouldn't have had to take a literacy test because they were white and so would have been allowed to vote no matter what. So, I mean... That's basically nothing at that point. Wow. Yeah. Which 
And like I said, this was the one issue that most suffragists were actually willing to discuss race on was basically even the black women could vote emphasis on could because they would not be allowed. Right. Uh, which everyone knew. Uh, oh, there were, yeah, there are over 56,000 more white women than black women in North Carolina alone. So a much closer rate in this state, but still 56,000. And then again, only 200,000 of those black women could read that were of voting age. So when you take that into consideration, I'd have to look to be sure, but probably a gap of like two or 300,000 at least, if I had to guess. Right. Um, you know, the Equal Suffrage Association, they published a circular that they posted around towns and mailed out to people. Basically, it said, if white domination is threatened in the South, it is therefore doubly expedient to enf- enfranchise the women quickly in order that it be preserved. You know, so expressing the idea, you know, we're proper Southern white women. We're not going to vote against white supremacy. And they wouldn't have. And they didn't. You know, they were very firmly on the side of the Democrats, despite the fact the Democrats didn't want them to vote and the Republicans did want them to vote. They did not care about that one bit. They were going to support white supremacy and the Democratic Party, no matter what. And uh, if you apply this population gap to the entire southern United States, there were six million more white women than black women. Two million oh. more white women than black people total. So again, even if black men voted, if women voted, kind of a non-issue there. So again, wouldn't have actually made much of a difference, even if they had been allowed to vote, which again, they would not be. So it just sounds like, like double said, negatives to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. So since, like I said, they they would have posed a small threat, maybe, you know, local elections, maybe a few state elections if um, voter turnout wasn't uh, particularly high among white people, which I don't know how high voter turnout used to be, but, you know, today it's not very good. So that is a real possibility. At least it's not usually very good these days. I think it was pretty high uh, last year, but that's obviously an outlier. Right. You know, it was high for Obama, but that's clearly an outlier. Most definitely. Uh, so, you know, small threat, sure. Real threat? Just absolutely not. I mean, it's really, it's one of those issues where it's like, sure, they probably believed what they were saying. I, th- I think it's fair to say most of them probably believed that letting women vote would be a threat. Because letting black people vote by extension would be uh, a threat to white supremacy. I think they believed that. But it's just clearly not true. I mean, I mean, in fact, history tells us it's not true because women did get the right to vote in 1920. And uh, it took 44 years for the Civil Rights Act. Hmm. So, I mean... Doesn't sound like much of a threat to me. And that wasn't even voted on. That was passed by Congress. So even then, it's not like giving women the right to vote did much to that. <laughs> not at all, if we're being honest. Even today, there's plenty of white women that uh, are very conservative. 
I mean, less than there used to be, I'm sure, but still plenty. So, I mean, you know, it's been 102 years. I don't, I don't think they have much of a leg to stand on. But, you know, all, all of the ideas, uh, arguments of, you know, there's more of us than there are black people. And that, you know, women would vote for Democrats. I mean, didn't really make a difference. You know, they even argued that, like, no white women, not in large numbers anyway, were ever going to vote for Republicans in 1920 in the South. And, I mean, they didn't. And they wouldn't have. They would have voted the same as their husbands and fathers. Uh, But they just, the the white supremacists, the Democrats, didn't care. They were far too... Uh, focused on the issue of but black people. And I mean, even uh, even after the 19th Amendment was ratified, there was still a lot of opposition to women voting among Democrats. Right. <clears throat> and uh, newspapers started making arguments like once it became, you know, oh, well, we don't have a choice now, you know, because women have the right to vote. Not much we can do about it at this point unless they're black. Uh, a lot of newspapers basically started making similar arguments. Uh, they published articles about why white men should trust white women to vote because uh, they'd say stuff like, is it possible that the wife who was trusted with the honor of her husband is not capable of being trusted to cast a vote that will help him? Basically, you know, uh, women are just going to vote the way their husbands want them to vote anyway because, again, they're proper southern white women. Uh, and they also this same article. This is from the Brevard News. This is from the same article. It also refuted the idea that uh, North Carolinians had any reason to fear black women voting because the cry of the bear of the Negro rule has long been settled in North Carolina. Which again, yeah, it kind of had been because, like we talked about last time, eighteen ninety eight, nineteen hundred, they kind of already solved that problem. Black people don't vote anymore. <laughs> is very much not an issue for them. And it would remain not an issue for them. But, you know, despite these factional, rational, racist, but rational arguments, white supremacists didn't care. They just, it's just this boogeyman of, you know, like hundreds of thousands of black voters overthrowing white supremacy in a state where they very much were the minority by a very large margin. <coughs> So, I mean, so yeah, you know, like, no real reason to be afraid. You know, when you're talking about irrational fears, you're not really going to listen to anyone anyway, are you? Nah, why would you, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's like, um, it's like, it's like, you know, someone who's afraid of spiders, you know, largely irrational. It, it, most of them know that, but they're not, you know, they're not going to listen when you try to tell, oh, it's a harmless spider. They don't care. They're afraid of spiders. It's like the same idea, but, you know, far more harmful to people because people aren't spiders. But, I mean, you get the point, though. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you know, and <clears throat> to be fair to them, there were a lot of black women, uh, a lot of black people outside of the South who very much supported women's suffrage because A, they wanted to vote, B, they thought they helped black people vote. Uh, you know, 
know, in 1915, for example, uh, in another issue of the crisis, uh, Mary B. Talbert, a black woman, she argued that uh, black women specifically, you know, not women in general, specifically black women should have the right to vote because black women had the necessary insight for building the ideal nation. Okay. Probably not something you want to hear if you're a virulent racist in the South. Probably not going to make you feel very comfortable <clears throat> about what her idea of the proper perfect nation is. Because it probably is one without you in it. You know, this same issue of the crisis had an entire section dedicated to the suffrage movement with uh, several articles by women like Mary Talbert. Uh, so, you know, even though the suffrage movement hadn't gained many supporters in North Carolina as early as 1915, most likely people opposed to it <clears throat> were very aware of arguments like these and probably kind of continued to uh, inform their views on suffrage and why they opposed it so strongly because they knew that, you know, maybe not in the South, but other places black women did want to vote. Right. And if they start voting up there, well, they might try to do the same down here because they see uh, they see other black women doing it up there. Like, oh, we want to do that, too. So, you know, that just creates a whole mess in their eyes. So, yeah. So, you know, race wasn't the only reason suffrage was opposed. Like I said, you know, politics was a was a, a male thing at this point. I mean, a lot of people still feel that way today. And it's been 100 years since then. You Shocker, know. right? So, yeah, see, in politics was very much not a thing women were supposed to be involved with in 1920, especially in the South. Um, but race was definitely the biggest issue and the main reason, I think, that we ended up not ratifying the 19th Amendment. You know, I think uh, anti-suffragists used the Negro question quite effectively to scare people into opposing women's suffrage. And uh, into fearing that it would cause the downfall of white supremacy and uh, kind of mess with the established racial hierarchy. And so they opposed it instead of supporting it. They did a very good job of that. Uh, unfortunately, even after the amendment was passed, uh, the fight for suffrage did not end for black women. You know, white women, they could just go to the polls and vote because, you know, they're white. Black women had to uh, fight just to do that. Uh, in fact, um, uh, so this is where it gets really interesting, <clears throat> in my opinion. After the amendment was passed, basically everyone who opposed it suddenly was like, well, all right, white women, you better get out and fucking vote because... Because we can't <laughs> let those we can't let those darkies do it. That'll be bad. So they basically were just like, "Hey, you better go vote." I don't like. I don't want you to vote, but like, uh, I need you to vote. Like that happened a lot. Like, so now we can actually do something because it benefits you. Yeah, pretty much. Like it was basically. Uh, it was basically they would spread lies. They would like trick white women, which I, they did, again they didn't need to at all but they did it they're like you know we need you to vote to uh 
so black people don't gain more power, which again, they wouldn't have. So kind of a non-issue there, but they felt it was. So they would um, they would do things like there was one newspaper, I think, that published an article that basically it said, I think the Republican Party, some women's organization, and like some mill workers or something, like they were allying with black women to vote, which wasn't true. It was a lie. They weren't doing that at all. But it was just a way to make white women afraid enough to scare tactics. vote Democrat. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Man, I've never seen so, that one done before, you know? Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, like just after the passage of the 19th Amendment, a letter titled <clears throat> A Challenge to the White Men and Women of North Carolina was distributed, was allegedly written and distributed by the so-called Colored Women's Rights Association for Colored Women and was allegedly accidentally sent to a white woman in Lexington, North Carolina. Oh, but this letter was well, so the Colored Women's Rights Association for Colored Women did not exist, was not a real organization at all. And the letter was written almost definitely by white men, like almost absolutely beyond shadow of the doubt written by a group of white men. But uh, the letter, so the letter basically, uh, it said it urged black women to hold secret meetings about voting, uh, like, you know, hold secret meetings in the, de- in the dead of the night so nobody would know they were up to, you know, talking about voting. And basically it said that uh, the white women in North Carolina will not vote. And while they sleep, let the Negroes be up doing. So basically it's trying to make it look like black women were saying, oh, hey, white women aren't going to vote. So we should vote while they're just kind of sleeping on the job. And then we can take over the state. Like I said, wow. <laughs> this letter's a lie. It was not the, the Colored Women's Rights Association for Colored Women did not exist. Was not a real organization, and the letter was just clearly fraudulent. But I mean, obviously, you know, 1920, a lot harder to check to see if the. I'm not saying that whole name again, but it's a lot harder to check to see if that's a real women's organization than it is to check today and see if something's real or fake. Right. So, you and know, people still and people still fall yeah. for it every day. It's yeah. So, you know, people definitely fell for it. But I mean, I'm, even despite the fact that it's almost impossible to prove it's a lie in 1920. Uh, so Charlotte Hawkins Brown, a prominent black woman in North Carolina, the, okay. the letter was attributed to her. And they said that she was the she was attributed as the president of this women's uh, organization. Just, you know, I guess to give it some credibility, like, oh, here's a black woman you probably all know the name of. She's the one who wrote this letter. You know, that's actually kind of a smart move, actually. Right. So, uh, but she went to the Greensboro Patriot. <clears throat> or no, sorry, the Greensboro Patriots want to publish a letter and said she was the president of the organization. Uh, she put out a statement or whatever. <clears throat> That uh, yeah, sorry. That she quit, and she quickly refuted the veracity of the letter and the organization, and basically said <clears throat> this organization does not exist, and I'm definitely not the president of it. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, a you know, 
kind of hard to fact check that in 1920. Right. B, no white person was ever going to admit to being the actual author of the letter. Facts. That doesn't matter. C, well, no one's going to believe a black woman over a white man now, are they? God. Not in 1920, anyway. So, that's just kind of didn't matter that she said it wasn't me. Tough look. I mean, at that point, it's basically the Shaggy song. I mean, you can say it wasn't you, but nobody cares. Nobody's yeah. going to listen. So, yeah. And this, I mean, this was just like, those are two examples of things like that. And they did, there's a lot more. They did lots of stuff like that to spur white women into voting and to make them kind of afraid of black voters. You know, like, um, the Dunn Dispatch in October of 1920, so like a month before the election, published an article that uh, titled Negro Paper Urges the Women to Vote. <laughs> but the article was like worded almost exactly like the letter we just talked about was worded. Right. And it also directly referenced the letter. And it's just like, it just makes it that much more obvious that it was written by white people. Like you just you wrote this article the same way you wrote this letter, but again, kind of hard to fact check that. So, but I mean, you know, even they didn't. It's not like they stopped there. I mean, you know, they they made black women or white women fear black women voters so that they would vote more, and then they took extra measures to make sure black women could vote. Uh, in fact, uh, so after this uh, amendment was passed. I think each state had like a set period that women could register to vote in the upcoming election. I think it was like a month or something. Uh, and you could go like throughout that period to register to vote. Black women decided in large numbers that they would wait until the next to last Saturday of the registration period to march in large groups of their local registers to register to vote because they figured it would be harder for them to turn us away if there's like 20, 30, 50, 100, depending on the town, obviously. Right. If there's like tens or hundreds of us trying to register all at the same time, it'll be harder for them to turn us all away in large numbers. And they were right the first time. You know, the first time they did it, the next to last Saturday, uh, it caught the Democrats off guard until the unprepared registers just resorted to giving the women literacy tests like we talked about. But whereas these tests were quite good at keeping, uh, Black men were voting. Black women passed them with ease because most of them were far better educated. And so it was a lot easier for them to take these tests. And it was harder for the um, for the people giving the tests to find whatever reason they could find to fail them. Also, I forgot to mention earlier, I think you had to do these tests in like 10 minutes. Like you only had 10 minutes to do them. <laughs> what is it? So, the time yeah. test, too? To get like straight up, like people should you should like Google um, just Google literacy tests from like the 1900s. It's ridiculous stuff. I mean, it's crazy what some of these questions were. But yes, you know, because they could read better and had better educations, most of them passed these tests in a way that they couldn't just be like, ah, you did it wrong, sorry. But the following Saturday, uh, they tried again this the, the same tactic. Of showing up in large numbers. Well, this time the registers were prepared and they had very specific instructions from uh, the Democratic Party 
basically they were told turn away or fail as many black women as you can and so basically they would force black women into a separate line from uh, white women they would interview them extensively slowly one at a time and this allowed them to turn away as many black women as they could because when they were given these extensive interviews one slip up uh, can't vote sorry wow and because these interviews took so long a lot of black women were uh still online when it was time for the polls to close or the books to close i should say because this is the final day you could register so once it was time for them to close the uh, registration books well you can't register to vote anymore sorry about now, where it. have Go we home. seen this before huh well the difference is now polls if you're in line so if your poll closes at like eight o'clock uh and you're in line by eight o'clock they have to let you vote like they can't keep you out of line that's against law they just don't I don't think they're allowed to let you in line after it closes up. But like they can't kick you out of line. That's against the law. Gotcha. Not that that stopped people from leaving, because you know, you've been waiting eight hours to vote at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, shit do. People want to go home. It's hard to blame right. them for that. So, you know. So that's still done that that's still a purpose that it takes so long. Because they can't kick you out. So they just make it take forever on purpose in some places. Georgia, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Oh man, coming down with something. Like want to get that call together. I know. I need to get some Mucinex, uh, perhaps. <laughs> so, so yeah, basically, you know, it's like give them really long, extensive interviews, so that way it takes forever. You can fail them for just any number of arbitrary reasons, and by the time it's the end of the day, there still be dozens, hundreds, maybe black women in line. Whereas you know the white women, they probably just went in. Oh, this is my name. This is where I live. Okay, you can you can go now. You're good. Black women, God knows what kind of questions they had to answer. God knows what kind of answers would be considered wrong. I couldn't find any evidence of like um like what the interviews were actually about, like what questions they were asked. I couldn't find anything like that, unfortunately. That might so, be for know, the best. Yeah, God only knows the kind of questions they were asked. I mean, it probably won't even questions that matter. It's probably ridiculous questions. I wouldn't be surprised, just based on other stuff I've read, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the questions were just like, what not you have for dinner yesterday? Because, I mean, what are you going to do? Tell them to ask you a serious question? Like, it'll just kick you out of line at that point. Wait, here's, here's an inside like, joke. What'd you, have for, what'd you have yesterday, whatever? Uh, pork chops and grits. Uh, yeah, you can't vote. Sure. <laughs> you can't, you can't Too out. black. <laughs> Too black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like yeah it's like one of those like you know even if he asks you a ridiculous question i mean you can't not answer it they'll just kick you out of line for avoiding the question so like you kind of don't have a choice really so so it's like so you know this goes back to earlier where democrats were afraid they wouldn't be able to like disenfranchise uh black women they knew they could do it they just didn't want to use violence, and I guess they didn't want to have to be creative, even though clearly it took them all of, like, seven days to figure out how to stop them. Right. So, I mean, there was nothing for them to be afraid of. They, I mean, it's just one of those things where you just, you turn it into an issue because you need it to be an issue. I mean, like, even if you believe it, you still just need it to be an issue, so you make it an issue. And people fall for it. Every time. Every time. Even today. 
So yeah, so, you know, so despite the organized efforts of black women, uh, I think I've, I want to say one of the books I used for this paper, she said there was like in specific counties, uh, there was like maybe 10, 12 black women in some of these towns who were successful in registering the vote compared to hundreds or thousands of white women, there's like 10, 12 black women. And it's just registering. So like that's the thing you have to do before you're even allowed to vote in the first place. So, you know, the, the thousands, tens of thousands who couldn't register, they can't even vote at all. The 10 who did, there's no guarantee they'll be able to vote. Right. You still have to take a literacy test at the polls, the poll tax, whatever else they could do to stop you from voting. So, um, you know. So, yeah, fun, just a fun story. Um, I forgot to do this last time, unfortunately. But I actually, I have book recommendations for this one. Oh, okay, I'm digging this. I to pull them up. I apparently forgot to write them down. But I remembered to do it this time. Yeah, here we go. So uh, the first one uh, is written. I, these are both books I used for the paper I wrote about this. Very good paper, by the way. I'm still mad because UNC wouldn't publish it. I'm salty. But um, the first one written by Glenda, G-L-E-N-D-A, Gilmore. Uh, it's from 1996. It's called Gender and Jim Crow, Women and Politics of White Supremacy in North Carolina, 1896 to 1920. Uh, pretty good. I thought it was really good. It's really good look at, um, well, like the title says, gender and Jim Crow and politics of white supremacy in North Carolina. Right. And then, uh, so th- that's the main one I used for this, since it focuses specifically on North Carolina and politics and white supremacy and all that stuff. So not a lot of people write about gender and politics back then, which is a shame. And uh, the other book I used from 1997 which just goes to show there's not many books about these because both the ones I used 22 years old. Right. Older than that, actually. I'm sorry, they're my age. Um, the second one is by Anastasia Sims. It's called The Power of Femininity in the New South, Women's Organizations and Politics in North Carolina from 1890 to 1930. It's so roughly the same period and you know, similar topics. You know, for anyone that wants to do uh, further reading those are two pretty good options i'm digging it man i appreciate you coming with that and everything for the people and, you know, i try i try to i always like it when people want to uh educate Learn. themselves so to speak you know you can't take me at my word go and you shouldn't by the way just just because i say something's true i could be wrong i'm not perfect and even though i'm right and i am this time you should still you know read for yourself and whatnot right it's always uh never a bad thing to double check something you hear from people even if you hear something from an expert not wrong with double checking it people are wrong and also actual websites help you learn it better so you know right actual websites not like googling or whatever on uh twitter (laughs) yeah if you see it on facebook you you should like quadruple check that one or reddit don't get yep. me started on Reddit. 
Well, um, my good sir, do you have anything else to close out this um, amazing thing with suffrage, women's suffrage in particular? Uh, no, just, I mean, it's just, like I said last time, just kind of goes to show you how much stuff that happened, you know, 100 years ago still kind of happens today. <sighs> just, yeah. I don't man. think, yeah, I think, I don't think we've decided what we're going to do next time. But, I, mean, I, th- I think we have ideas. Yeah, we but, have ideas. I haven't, you know. I don't, I don't think, think we should tease it out because then I feel like I don't want to tease it and stuff changes yeah. up. But yeah, I'm gonna try to pick something that's a little different, something that's not a sequel to this. So we'll see. Is it not I gonna make? I it, I say, is it gonna make me like not sad? To be I determined? think you might. I think you might enjoy. It. Okay, uh, we'll see. I have I have uh, an idea of which one I want to do next. Okay. Well, that one being said, man, you know what I'm saying? We we said it at the beginning. We say it again at the end. I don't have much because uh, I feel like I know when this is dropping, but still. Um, remember, like always, ladies and gentlemen, to rate, like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. Links and everything in the bio description, all that good stuff below. Um, April, It's April Fool's. 22 playlist available on Apple Music and Spotify. Make sure to go check out that heat in there. You know, like I, I, the time of this recording, whatever, I think we just got a new Fabio 4 and album. So the complete opposite of um, everything we spoke about today, whatever, pure ignorance over there. Well, it, it might be the same, actually. We're, we're being, you know, just different levels. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like we, uh, the other stuff, go check out everything we got in the link tree from Discord, merch, uh, twitch.tv backslash mookdog. Or whatever, all the baseball content and everything over there. And, you know, um, y- y- our pristine historian over here is going to go back in the lab and cook up another good episode for y'all. You know what I'm saying? But I uh, appreciate you so much, Corey. Bro. That was another great episode of All That Trip Repeats. It goes by Corey. I go by Mookie. And until next time. <laughs>